Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Thorough Talk. You've missed me, huh? I know it's been a little hiatus, and uh, the Utah Jazz have kept me busy. Of course, uh, they got knocked out of the playoffs by the Denver Nuggets, so I've been, for about a week of that layoff, I've been in in depression. Uh, My Jazz got knocked out by the Denver Nuggets, up 3-1. I'm sure I'm going to be able to discuss that with my guest today, but I'm very, very excited that he would even consider taking the time to be on this show. Uh, I'm going to introduce him this way. He's a best-selling author, national, international speaker, very, very successful businessman, currently the CEO of S. Graham and Associates. That's a Chicago-based corporate and education marketing and consulting firm. And before I bring him on, I'm going to read the mission statement of S. Graham and Associates to teach identity development to students, educators, businesses, and entrepreneurs, career professionals in 140 countries around the world. And I want you listeners to really focus on that word identity because that's going to be kind of the focus of our discussion today with Stedman Graham. Stedman, welcome to the show. Thank you, Thurl. I'm sorry about the uh, the lost man. That's, That's a tough one. Yeah, yeah, you know that didn't sound that sincere, Stedman. Because yeah, I you know, I know you like the Jazz, but who, who who's your team? Come on. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm a, I've always been a Bulls fan. I'm a Michael Jordan fan. You know? Okay, I think we all are that. So, yeah, yeah. So you know that that Scotty and those guys, and man, they were just unbelievable. So how about the bad years? You 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 know you you sticking with them post? Uh, well, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a LA fan too. So, uh, See, you know, I'm See. Not, I, I like the I like the players. You know, Kareem and yeah. Magic and all those guys. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. And man, watch your career all of those years, man. You were unbelievable. Well, I appreciate that. For a great career. I'm so glad you said and that. And you carry yourself so well uh, on the court and off the court at the same time. So that's a that's a that's a, a testament to your parents and to your family support. Thanks, Stephen. Because I'm glad you said that. Because this podcast was about to take a whole different turn. But, but no, I, I know you've always been a sports. As a matter of fact, I think the last time you and I even had a chance to talk sports, you were here a few years ago in Salt Lake City, and you were on our our pre half and post game show. Uh, it was just great to have you on as well. So, um, let's let's stick with sports for a minute. 
you know, 6'6", six, 6'6", six. Six, six, young man out of going to school at Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, Texas. So um, you were a baller. Yeah, I played with Harvey. You remember Harvey Ketchum? Oh, I know Harvey very well. Yeah, him and I played together, went to school together, went to JC together, uh, was supposed to go to UCLA after our first year at JC, and they dropped the program after two years in junior college. We were supposed to go, and they dropped the program after the first year. So I went up to University of Detroit, and then he went to Hardin-Simmons, and yep. then I didn't like it up there, so I transferred to uh, Hardin-Simmons and graduated from there. Uh, along with him, and so um, we, we've had a great career, and we're good friends. Yeah, Harvey's a good friend. I, I try to call him on his birthday every year, and obviously his daughter, Tamika, just a great a, a great Olympian, great athlete, made her Absolutely. mark as well in professional sports. Um, you know, no disrespect to Harvey Catchings, but people don't know Harden-Simmons. Uh, I was even more impressed, because I'm a TV buff, right? So I used to watch Bonanza. And, and I used to watch Daniel Boone back in the day. Dan Blocker and Fess Parker went to Harden Simmons. So yeah, if people didn't know that. I mean, that that that, that was my that was the era where you know you sat in front of the the black and white Xena TV set, and I sat down with my dad and watched his favorite westerns and uh, remember those guys as well. So uh, hey, before we before I get into uh, the, your journey, uh, I want to talk about I me. Mean, obviously, the pandemic has affected everyone, and I just wanted to check with you and see how you fared through it, uh, maybe people close to you, or uh, how's it affected your life? Well, of course, um, you know, man, it's, uh, it's a shocker for everybody. We've been, we've been really, as they say, hunkered down, uh, Oprah and I, and so it's been, um, it's been a journey. Um, you know, what we try to do, she's busy, I'm busy. And the thing that I find is that you really have to work on yourself. You have to create a routine for yourself. Yeah. You know, you can't worry too much about the external world and what, what's happening in the outside world, you know, other than the fact that you, you can't escape that. But you've got to be able to, you know, set up your own program if you're going to be locked down. And so what we try to do is keep a routine, keep a schedule, and, and just move forward. And I think it's a great time to now, uh, you know, based on the way things are going, to now work, begin to work on your own self. Yes. And to really get involved in technology as a way. Everybody's, you know, becoming techie now, and everybody has to get on technology to, to, to really communicate. So it's a great way for me to be able to put my courses online and, um, uh, develop my content and use technology to communicate to people really almost around the world and be in one place at the same time. So it's really been a godsend for me. So you have you felt that you've had to, uh, with helping companies and individuals and students find their identities, have you had to make a shift because of it? I mean, you talked about technology, and, and if you watch, obviously, the NBA playoffs, uh, there's a lot of technology, new technology at work that that most probably would never have, you know, foreseen coming. But is your approach different now because of the pandemic? Totally. Uh, my approach now is that technology has to become the platform for my delivery of my content. Right. You know, everything's about content development. So it's the content, the value of the content. 
and your standard and your ability to achieve success. It's based on knowledge and information and how much you know. And nowadays, you know, because we have so much information, the most important thing is do you have relevant information that allows you to focus on developing uh, your, your, the information that will help you develop your talents, your skills, your abilities, and really create social economic development, right. which is really lost uh, in our society today because we're, we're in a fixed mindset. We're doing the same thing over and over every day. We're in a traditional educational system. We learned that, which is not really relevant to the 21st century. We don't know who we are. We have no sense of self. We have no or- way to organize ourselves or create and design our own future and build our own future, what the, which is what the 21st century thorough is asking us to do, is that you got to work on yourself. you got to know who you are. you got to have a process for continuous improvement. You know, I, I really was going to dive into this later, but um, I want to I really segue into this portion of it because, you know, other than the pandemic, there's a lot of racial unrest going on out there. And I know that you've, you've been uh, the pioneer of, of black causes in your career. Um, and you're speaking of identity. Talk to me, talk to us about this time period because the second part of this, I want to dive more into your history and, and your upbringing. But right now, since we're on it, I want to talk about the 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 social unrest, um, everything that's going on with our, uh, our police department and and the killings of of uh, you know George blacks Floyd. George Floyd and others. Um, so, I, I, my guess is that you've you've really kind of been entrenched in that as well. And if so, how have you been? Well, certainly, I, 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 you know, I, I'm in the schools. I have curriculum in the schools. Uh, my, my, my goal is to create a systemic process to deliver content to anybody in the world and, and be able to eliminate the labels. Yes. And what I learned early on is that it's not about the labels. I mean, that's a, that's a uh, kind of a socially constructed program designed to marginalize your existence, especially for people of color, uh, to use race as a way to define your your standards and your capabilities. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's also a way to let other people determine your destiny. It's not how what I learned through my own personal experience of being defined by race and being defined by family. Uh, growing up with two special need brothers and being defined by my relationship with Oprah and all of that is that it's not how the world defines you. The most important thing is how you define yourself. But we don't have the tools to be able to do that, right. uh, which is why I teach what I teach. Uh, you know, I, I, my new book, Identity Leadership, came out May 6th, and, it, it, and it's really focused on self-leadership, uh, which is based on a philosophy that you can't lead anybody else until you first lead yourself. So if you don't even throw, if you don't even know yourself, yes. if you don't even have an understanding or a clue of how to represent yourself, if you don't even own yourself, you know, then you don't even have a, a way to even get beyond the labels that are used to, uh, again, define your existence. So the first thing you have to do is create ownership. It wouldn't make a difference who you are or what color you are, because if you're a woman, you're defined by, you know, most of the time it's a man's world, and you're defined by that. If you're, you know, a person of color, you're defined by the color of your skin. If you're, you know, uh, if you 
you're defined sometimes by your family circumstances. You're defined by your house and your car, your money, your title, and all the external things. So it's an external issue. Yes. If you're looking for freedom, you'll never find it on the outside. Freedom is only on the inside. The challenge is we have no curriculum for that. We have no process for creating and customizing our own program so that we can begin to co-create with the, with the world that we live in and now use technology as a way to really create our own existence. And we have to be taught how to do that because we, we're not, we, we still are in a follower yes. mindset and yes. in a, in a fixed mindset and not in a growth mindset. Powerful. Very powerful. My question to you about that, is it difficult to, I mean, are we, whether we're an individual, whether we're a company, are we in a that learning mode? Are we hungry for it? Or do you find it difficult to be able to, to sell that message? Well, it's, it's a hard message to understand because the system is set up backwards. It's a failed system mm-hmm. for people who don't understand how to get above it. So if you're talking about the American free enterprise system or the American system, you're following that system, which is basically school and college, and yeah. now you get out and go to work and get a job. Well, there's no jobs for the most part. Or the jobs are out there, but you're not qualified for the jobs because you've been taught to memorize, take tests, repeat the information back, and label with a grade to clear you to get the information. So you have no learning process. You know, my life changed, Thorough, when I began to understand the power of how to take information and education and apply it to who I am, right. to my identity, transfer it to my mind so I can become a thinking human being in the 24 hours that I have every single day, which is what makes us all equal. Everybody has 24 hours. The question is, you don't know how to organize your life around yourself. So you're always looking for a job. You're looking for somebody to give you work. You're looking for somebody to you know, to define your existence. And it's never going to happen today because it's not 20 years ago where you had Social Security, you had a 401K, you had the, the community taking care of you, everybody had good work, everybody got paid. You know, it, the, the game has changed yes. at all levels. So whether you're an athlete or whether you are an executive or whether you're uh, a student, You've got to be able to learn today and become a self-learner or a self-directed learner in order to survive. Well, you mentioned athlete, and um, you know, as a former chairman of the NBA Retired Players Association um, and, and now on the board, uh, I, I think that's one of the things we, we struggle with with a lot of our older athletes is because those playing careers are over. But I think that a lot of our members feel like that defined them and now they don't know what to do they don't know how to use it they don't know and, and they still have they still have names they still have people that that adore them um and i and i when you stated that i i thought man it would be great to have a lot of these retired even current obviously i mean these guys that are making tons of money right now there there's some of them that are still lost and don't don't really know their true identities and doesn't hit them until they're done. Yeah, you have you what 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 happens is that it's and it's really a shame. It's almost criminal that you played all those years, you've got a brand, people stop you and you don't have the skill sets to be able to go to the next level. 
Right. You play basketball, you know, we all play ball. Great. Fantastic. But you got a, a brand. People know you, which is the most powerful thing you could have now is that, you know, you, you have brand value. And so you got to be able to, um, you know, things don't stay the same. You got to be able to make adjustments or adapt to the changing circumstances. But you couldn't have a better opportunity than now to do it yes. because we have access to technology and we have our own distribution network. So to be able, it's a word called leverage that folks have used for years. How do you leverage your resources? How do you leverage your opportunities? How do you leverage your name? How do you leverage who you are? You got to be clear on really who you are. You play ball, but that's not all, that's not all of who you are. Right. That that doesn't make up your you know your whole existence. And so your ability to be able to go internally within to figure that out early. What are the possibilities for me as a brand? What are the what are the possibilities for me as a ball player? What can I leverage? What, are the, what, what access to, to resources do I have? And if you just begin, you're able to do a comparable analysis from where you came from to where you are right now, you look at all of the opportunities in the global marketplace that you could access, and you make that relevant to your talents, to your abilities, to your passions, to your skill sets, then you could begin to recreate and redesign your own life. Now, if you learn that early before you stop playing, you can position yourself very well while you're playing and leverage the resources and the money that you have in order to invest in you as a person. So the more you have, the more you can give back to your family and to your community and to your country. Stephen, that's some great stuff, man. We're going to take a quick break here and come back. And, and I'm going to ask you to take me back a little bit um, to see how Stephen Graham grew up. We'll be back in just a second. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Thorough Talk. We're, uh, school is in session. We are getting educated by Stedman Graham talking about knowing who you are, uh, talking about identity and being able to capitalize on that and knowing, uh, you know, it, as, a, as a retired athlete, 
as we were discussing before the break, Stedman, um, there's just so many out there that hopefully are positioning themselves because, listen, when I first came into the league, I was the first round seventh pick of the Utah Jazz. And it's public information anyway. But my contract, my first, my four-year contract totaled a million dollars. So I was the seventh pick. And look that up, people, listeners, because the seventh pick today makes multi, multi-millions of dollars. And But that was good money. That was good money. I was right there with the, you know, Kim Olajuwon was in that draft. and and um, But I see so many guys who are, who worked hard to, to become what they've wanted to become, what they've wanted to become their whole lives, and now either when it's over or they can't play anymore or they didn't prepare financially, um, they they're lost. And and Stephen and I appreciate those words. But right now, I wanna, I wanna take, I want you to take me back to um, Middletownship, New Jersey. Uh, growing up, I know you were born in the Whitesboro section of Middletownship, and talk to me about growing up and and how that was for you yeah i grew up in a little small town all black town surrounded by white county where they said nothing ever good comes out of whitesboro again you know that was you know the the negative yeah you know labels that we were given growing up and uh i had a race-based consciousness which is you know race was at the forefront of my existence uh and you know i was angry uh, because I also had two special need brothers, and I used to have to fight every day because the kids would be, you know, calling me names, and and uh, so I had a lot of anger and rage growing up. And fortunately, you know, I discovered basketball early on, and uh, and that allowed me to kind of put some of that rage and anger into that, you know, so I wouldn't be destroying myself or getting involved with drugs or whatever the case may be, because I was so. Uh, frustrated about my uh, self-actualization. Right. Uh, so, and I didn't know how to do that. So, it was the how. So, and I was searching for equality. I didn't even understand why I had to deal with all this race stuff, and you know why people walk into a store and they wouldn't wait on you. You'd be the last person they waited on, and you'd be the, maybe the second person in there. And and so it was. Um, uh, and people calling you the N-word and all of that. And, you know, so it was it was really tough, and basketball got me out. Right. Um, and so I was able to get out, go to school, graduate, play ball in Europe a little bit, uh, serve in the U.S. Army, uh, worked in the prison system five years and all that. So, And through all of that, of course, you know, um, my relationship with Oprah helped change my life because it exposed me to a level of thinking, you know, growing up, my thinking was off. I had bad thinking. So your ability not to understand how to take information and make it relevant to who you are, how do you apply, how do you apply the information, how do you grow, how do you develop, how do you begin to understand the American free enterprise system and how it works, you know, and then how do you fit into all of that? So uh, that was, you know, so I realized through all of that, I realized that, again, that it was an internal issue eventually, that my ability to do all the external things were fine. That was great, you know, a great life, traveled around the world, all that kind of stuff, played ball in a lot of these countries. But 
man, you didn't have a sense of self. So, so growing up with low self-esteem, a lack of confidence, you don't know who you are. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. You just mentioned you were this angry kid, right? So, so along that journey, what was the connection? Were there things that happened or happened that you really understood? I mean, you, you, just, talk, you just gave me a schooling about identity and, and, and your brand. Was there a part as you were growing up that something clicked, or it was, was it the gradual education that helped you understand that you had to figure out yourself, who you were, and, and what, where that was going to take you? I met a guy named Bob Brown, and uh, he was an uh, African-American businessman, and he was very successful. This guy is the first guy to ever see Man- Nelson Mandela at Paul's Mall Prison, you know, and I was there with him, and I worked for him a, while, a, a, a number of years. Go to the White House, you know, special assistant to President Nixon at some time, helped set up the Nigerian government. You know, I met him. And and I saw this black man, and I said, wait a minute, hold it. Now, if he can do it, I can do it. Because hmm. he was a role model. Right. And that's the first time I've ever seen anybody like that. You know, he's traveling all over Paris and Africa, and I'm traveling with him, and he's playing golf, and we're down in Pinehurst, and we're doing all this kind of stuff. You know, owns his own plane and all of this. And so I was just... Man, to be able to work with him, eventually work with him, and spend time with him exposed me. And I realized about this is about 31 years of I was about 31 years of age, and I realized, oh, it's not about race because I'm traveling around seeing these people of color all over the world, you know, making things happen. And and so that took me to a whole nother level. And and of course, I'm in these circles. Right, and I I find that there's a different kind of thinking in these circles. That the people who really are part of the one percent, you know what they do, Cyril? What's that? They work on themselves. <laughs> That's right. They focus on their talents and their skills. You know, they 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 uh, they have a different way. They understand the American free enterprise system and how it works. They're not worried about race. They're not worried about. Uh, you know how they grew up, or whatever the case may be. They they are constantly focused on their own development, and they're reading every day, and they're studying. And they got a book in their hand, and they're traveling, and they're learning from these experiences, and they're applying. But the difference is that they're applying all of that to them. Right. They're not giving everything away, working, you know, working and working, and after 30 years, they look back and say, I have no more in the end than I had in the beginning. They're constantly developing a process of continuous improvement around them Hmm. so that they can have, so they can have more, and they understand how to utilize resources and organize opportunities around them. So... When you begin to build yourself and and work on yourself and, and you're clear on what you do well, you focus on the number one key to success is based on L-O-V-E, the word love. You have to love yourself. You have to organize everything you love. you got to be able to create an opportunity where you can self-actualize your talents and your skills, right? And you got to be really selfish about that. Right. 
So that belongs to you. You got to own your own talents, skills, and abilities. It's just like you as a ball player. When you walk in there, man. When you walk in, and you, you, when you walk on the court, you know you're bad. Right. You have to. You know what you can do. And so that is how you have to own your life, not only in ball, but in your profession, in your uh, skills, in your abilities, whatever. You got when you when you wake up in the morning, you got to know that you're bad, and you got to know how all of this stuff works because we live in the greatest country in the world, and we have access to information. We don't know how to put it together. If we ever learn how to put it together, which is why people don't want you to know because they want you to be somewhat of a you know, have a, uh, a follower mentality all of your life so that you can rely on me to, you know, to take care of you and to do everything you need to do. you got to call me. Right. You can't do anything for yourself. What can you do for yourself? What have you created for yourself? What can you produce for yourself? And today, you couldn't have a better opportunity because you have the ability to produce create, develop, and distribute anywhere in the world. And if you're not learning that, you better teach your kids that. Otherwise, they're not going to be qualified to even, they're not even relevant. They're going to school with a degree from Harvard and, and Princeton and Yale and come out, and they still are looking for somebody else to take care of their existence. Right. Not going to happen. Right. You've wasted your money and wasted your time because you have no skills that are relevant to the 21st century. Man, powerful stuff, Stedman. So let me ask you in a corporate sense, um, I, I would think that not much changes, but when you're dealing with a lot of these companies that need to figure out their identities, what is the process um, pretty much fall in line with what you've talked about, or is there different avenues with, with, maybe with companies? No, that's a great question. The, uh, the, the process is, is the same. First of all, leadership is everything. Yes, so if you got a bad leader leading a company, you know, some of these companies that thought they were relevant, you know, and thought they were going to be in the know, you know, because they have a big planes and they're riding around big time and smoking cigars and playing golf and all of that, but they're not on the game, you know, they're not they're not relevant to the 21st century. So you got let's just name them: Target out of business, Macy's going out of business. You know, let's just name on and on these companies who never made it. Blockbuster. Yeah. You know, never made it because the thinking is off. You know, you weren't relevant to the 21st century and you, you rested on your laurels, so you didn't have a vision. So I have a nine-step success process. So the first step is you got to know who you are. You have to have an identity. you got to have a vision for who you're going to become, not who you are. Because if you're sitting around resting on your laurels talking about your historical background and what you did, and you're not focused on where you're going and who you're going to become, you're not going to be able to get there because you have no vision. And the good book says where there is no vision, the people perish. That's right. So you've got to have a vision of who you can become. Who can you become? You can become anybody you want, but you need a process, a success process for becoming that. You're not going to learn that in school. I mean, this is why I teach what I teach, because I want people to understand how to do it. You know, I hear a lot of talk. I listen to you know a lot of these YouTube videos and all of that talk. People talking about success. There's a process for success, and the process of thorough is the same for everybody. It wouldn't make any difference whether you're in Africa, India, 
China, United States, Philadelphia, New York, or Utah. It's the same process for everybody. And the process is, is you got to know what makes you happy, what you love, what you're passionate about, what your purpose is as the first step in your life. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to source information and knowledge around that to build the mousetrap or to build the model or to, to work on something where you can become consistently good over a long period of time. That's why you have achieved the success you've achieved in ball because you've been able to focus on what you love every single day and practice that so you become an expert in your field. And people pay you for your value. The value that you give yourself is the value the world gives you. The world sees you as you see yourself. So how do I begin to change your paradigm about yourself? Don't tell me about the negative part of who you are. Don't look at the glass half empty. Look at the glass half full. Tell me what you can do. Don't tell me what you can't do. I'm not interested in what you can't do. Yes, sir. Um. If you could see me right now, I've got goosebumps. I'm in the studio. I would say my hair is standing up, but I shaved my head last week. But what an amazing opportunity to be nourished and taught by Stedman Graham. Stedman, I guess what I would love to end up uh, in this show today with is just, uh, you know, there are a lot of people looking for that type of help, whether they're individuals or students, their companies. Um, you've got a lot of information out there. You've got some great books. You just released one recently. Um, how can people find you and that material? Yeah, they can go to stedmangram.com. Uh, we're, 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 we're working, excuse me, reworking our uh, website and organizing that. But I mean, I've been working on this, uh, wow, 30 years yeah. I've been trying to find equality and trying to find the success process and trying to figure this stuff out. I'm telling you, when you get this, when you understand the process for it and you get to break the cycle and you get to teach your kids how to do it and I'm talking about people this is not about race this is about development this is about can you are you competitive in the 21st century can you create self mastery in your own life can you create social economic opportunities in your own family, utilizing technology as a way to, to empower your existence. Can you move, really, the transformation is, can you move from a negative mindset, you know, and the foundation of my existence based on what we talked about is negative. Right. So my transformation has to be always focusing on being positive and focusing on changing my energy around from a negative energy, right, negative energy to a positive energy, telling myself I can, as opposed to, you know, going back to my historical background, which tells me I can't. Yep. So if, you're, if, if you don't change that, and, and so for most of us who've grown up, ball has been a great opportunity and a blessing for us because it's allowed us to self-actualize beyond our, our historical uh, positioning. You know, our, our, our negative thinking of how we grew up 
based on sometimes systemic oppressive uh, information that was designed to, you know, make us think that we're not anything. Right. And so your ability to focus on who you are allows you to create your own system to get above that that kind of oppressive uh, uh, systems that have been designed to, you know, make you less than. And that's been for women, that's sometimes it's designed for folks and families that their mother and father said nothing's never going to be anything. And you grow up as an alcoholic or you grow up you're getting on drugs because you don't like yourself. And so it's really trying to transform love, transform from negative to positive, and the transformation is always around love. That's why I learned through all of this, Thurl, is that the key is to love yourself all of the time and, and to self-actualize that and find ways that you can do that so you can enhance your value. Well, Stebbin, I sure thank you for taking the time and our listeners are going to be well edified and just appreciative of your words today. Um, thank you so much again for coming on the show and, and you and Oprah take care of yourselves through all this stuff that's going on. I know we're going to get through it, uh, but well, thank you. Thank you for having me on, and thank you for you know what you've been able to do throughout the years. And, man, you've been consistent. <laughs> that, that is, that, you know, to find that consistency, you know, over a long period of time, it is a beautiful thing. In today's marketplace, in today's world, to be consistent, you know, to know where you're going, who you are, how you're going to get there, and to develop a, a those habits you know, in a routine where you can constantly realize, okay, I got 24 hours. What can I do today to make this a great yes, day? You know, then make it a great week, make it a great month, and then make it a great year in spite of the pandemic. That's right. That's the key. In the end, are you still going to be able to stand? Are you still standing? <laughs> That's what we're going to ask in, in a year from now. Are you still, uh, still around for the next level? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm uh... a... <laughs> I'm standing right now, my friend, and I, I really appreciate it. Uh, you've really not only helped me today, uh, you should see our producer, Josh Tilton, in here. He is just, uh, he's ready to run out that door and start doing things that he knows he needs to figure out. But, Stedman, thank you again so much, and uh, you take care of yourself, my friend. And, and We'll be in touch. All right. God bless. All right. Take care. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.